Hey there, welcome to the Creative Classroom Podcast. I'm your host, John Spencer. I'm a former middle school teacher, current college professor, and I am passionate about seeing teachers transform their classrooms into bastions of creativity and wonder. And so on this podcast, I share ideas and strategies. I talk about big things, but also those practical little tweaks that can make a difference. I interview experts, I share stories, I talk about my big epic fails I've made along the way, because ultimately I believe that teachers play a profound role in helping students reach their creative potential. And so today we're talking about this idea of creativity. And in particular, we're talking about um, why sometimes a big launch is not the answer. Sometimes if we want students to reach that creative potential and to develop creative confidence and to be willing to take creative risk, well, then we actually need to do projects and assignments where students are publishing or, or creating for an audience of one. And I share this because, you know, I co-wrote the book Launch. I'm all about design thinking. We've talked about that a lot on this podcast. I'm all about the power of the launch. But today I want to talk about this opposite perspective of why is it important that students carve out a time and that you encourage students to find their creative voice by creating for themselves and why this is actually more humble and not necessarily selfish. For the last month, I've been working on projects for myself. But in each case, these are my personal genius hour where I am engaging in creative work for the simple fact that it's fun to do. No audience, no deeper purpose, just having fun and learning in the process. Now, at some point, some of these might go public. Like I have this comic strip that I've mentioned before about a dog and a cat who give advice to humans. It's called Cat and Doug. Cat is the dog and Doug is the cat. And I'm really excited about that. My goal is to create 30 comic strips and share them out in January. And I've actually been playing around with turning the whole concept into like a blended novel, graphic novel um, for middle schoolers and hopefully something that they would enjoy. Now, I have no idea if it will be successful, but that's not the point. I just think it will be fun to share it out and see if someone likes it. But there are other creative works that I'm going to keep private, not because they're deeply personal, but just because nobody really wants to see them or consume them. I created some AI-generated baseball stadiums that exist on every planet. And if you nerd out on, you know, what a hybrid of Dodger Stadium and Kauffman Stadium would, would look like on Mars, well, that might be your jam, but I don't think it's really anyone's jam. I made a set of five food-inspired NFL logos like the Cincinnati Chili or the Philly Cheesesteak or the Minnesota Hot Dish, and I created them for the sheer joy of creating something new. Similarly, I've been working on a set of introvert merit badges with badges like made small talk with the barber or participated in the dreaded icebreaker activity or chaperoned a dance. Again, I doubt that anyone is going to be asking for those introvert merit badges. Those are for me. 
And they're simply because it's fun to make those. And I share this because so much of what I've done throughout this school year has been creating work for teachers, creating work for the um, pre-service teachers in my cohort. It's all about sharing and launching with others. And so what I've been doing is at the end of the year, I'm just working on a bunch of fun passion projects for me. So with that in mind, I want to share five reasons to create for an audience of one or five reasons to create for yourself. And like I mentioned before, I am all about the notion of the launch, right? I co-wrote the book Launch, which is all about an empathy-driven design process where you really focus on what do others need. It's, a, it's designed to, to develop empathy and to remind ourselves that um, looking out for others is important. But I also think it's really important that we create spaces where we get to engage in creative work for ourselves without thinking at all about the audience. Sometimes you simply have to create work that resonates with you as an artist, an author, a maker, an engineer, whatever it may be. And so I want to share these five reasons why you might want to create for yourself. And again, as you hear this, I want you to think about where does this um, leave us as educators and what does this mean for our students? Number one, creating for yourself helps you find your creative voice. I recently met with an artist who let me tour his studio. While he wasn't a household name as a painter, he had created a following of passionate fans who loved his work. His prints continued to sell at art shows. He's had some um, exhibits at, at a few museums. And he started to branch out into merchandise that's done pretty well. At one point, I saw a canvas with an entirely different subject matter. Is that a commission, I asked him? No, that's for me, he answered. As in, you're not going to sell it, I asked. And then he said this, I have a rule for myself that every 10th painting is one I either create for myself or as a gift to someone close in my life. I am an artist, but also a craftsman. It's a business. I create the kind of work that others want. I pay close attention to my audience and I try to give them something that they would be proud to put in their home. But at some point I realized that I can get so focused on painting for others that I lose my voice. So I work on a canvas that's not for a larger audience at all. It's not going to a museum. It's focused on whatever I'm interested in, he, he pointed out. When you embark on personal projects, you give yourself the freedom to explore those innermost thoughts and emotions and perspectives without external influences or constraints. This process of self-expression allows you to unearth the core elements of your creative voice, things like your themes and styles and, and distinctive ways that you communicate ideas. And by, by nurturing this personal creative space, you reinforce your creative identity. This then allows you to evolve and mature over time. When, when you create for yourself, you remain true to that artistic vision that you hold in your mind rather than conforming to the external expectations or trends of the larger culture. 
And this authenticity, this singular voice that you have is the critical ingredient needed to then branch out and be different rather than merely being trendy. In other words, you not only find your creative voice, but you keep it. And as you stay connected to your genuine passions and uh, interests through these personal projects, you build a reservoir of creative inspiration. When we create for ourselves, it's an opportunity to find our voice and to keep it. The danger in creating for others, although creating for others is absolutely necessary, but the danger of this is that we can slip into a place where we become so empathetic and we are meeting people exactly where they're at, but we lose that unique perspective that makes our work original. But by creating for ourselves, we remain grounded in our identity and consistent in our own voice. Now, I used to see this with student genius hour projects. Students would come in focused on what they needed to do to get a good grade or, or what they thought I wanted as a teacher. But over time, they would branch out. They would lean into their own unique voice. And the end result was often something far more original and quirky and awesome than anything they would have made for me. So again, making something for yourself is critical to helping you find and retain your creative voice. Number two, creating for yourself helps you develop new skills. Personal creative work is an opportunity for self-discovery and growth. As you tackle challenges and uncertainties in your personal projects, you gain a deeper understanding of your creative process and you figure out what truly motivates you. This self-awareness, and I think it's really important that we we think about it as self-awareness, it has the potential to kind of boost your confidence. And you start taking little calculated risks, right? It's like, because it's so private, you have this freedom to try new things. And along the way, you will try new approaches, you'll learn new skills, you might pursue that moonshot idea. And these new skills then uh, end up spilling over into other domains of your creative work. You know, 15 years ago, I started to get back into drawing. I would doodle during meetings and sketch uh, sketchnote my ideas. And what started out as a skill I developed for myself eventually grew into a new skill that I started to use in my classroom. And over time, I started adding these sketches to the slideshows in class. I started adding them to um, all kinds of things that I was doing. And eventually, I ended up making sketchnote videos. And now that's something that I, is very public, right? Like I, I, I regularly on, on YouTube will publish, you can find them at spencervideos.com, these different sketchnote videos. And I am really confident in my ability to create these videos. I love going through that process. But again, it took this incubation period of experimenting with new skills privately first before I was then ready to share it out publicly. And I think that tiptoes into the next idea. If we think about it this way, when I finished a creative work and, and I'm focusing on sharing it with the world, I'm, I'm often very focused on quality. But when I'm creating something new, I'm focused on trying new things. And this novelty fuels inspiration, it sparks new learning, 
And more importantly, it becomes the beginning of helping me conquer my fears. So point number three is creating for yourself allows you to conquer your fears. If launching your work to the world is high stakes and risky, there's something humble about embracing your imperfections and creating new work from scratch. When you create purely for yourself without any external pressures or expectations, you create a safe space for experimentation. You're free to explore new ideas, styles, and themes without worrying about uh, criticism or judgment. I've written before that I have this um, note card that I keep by my desk with the words, this could fail. And I know that might sound pessimistic or negative, but it's not. It's really this recognition that failing is a part of the creative process, that failing is temporary and failure is permanent. The lack of an audience means I have this ability to iterate and improve, to try new things, to take big, bold, creative risks because Nobody is going to be judging me. And this creative freedom allows me then to push more boundaries that I might not do if it was public. With students, what this often means is that they can start out privately when they're working on a new skill and there's levels of privacy. So level one is it's private. Level two, it's semi-private. They're going to branch out. They're going to share with pairs, um, maybe their partners in small groups. Um, with the teacher, maybe with the whole class, right? And then um, they can get to a place where they might share it with multiple classes. They might do global projects where they, they share their work with you know, students in a different school in a different country. Um, they might share it with the whole school. They might share it at a district level type thing. Um, but eventually they get to a place where they can share it with a public audience, whether that's a local public audience or it's a global audience. And you can kind of think about it as a gradual release of responsibility, right? You're starting with, I I'm just now learning it. I I'm getting better at it. I'm going to try new things. But eventually, you move through those levels where you gain that confidence to take those creative risks. And so I, I really think that private creative work creates that safe space for you to take risks, try new things, and iterate. But I think it's also important to recognize that this is, this is true for um, students who have experienced significant success in their creative work. You might have a, a student in a theater class who's done tons of community theater. You might have a gifted artist who already found their audience, and yet success can make people risk averse. We've seen it with companies, right? Disney in the, in the late 1990s um, became very risk averse. Um, it's what happened to BlackBerry before the iPhone came out. They were starting to get really risk averse and they weren't truly innovating anymore. But it's what happens to artists, singers, engineers, scientists, all kinds of creative people. When you experience public success, a failure feels inherently risky. So by creating for yourself, you're forcing yourself to take those creative risks. The fourth idea is creating for yourself is a chance to embrace your imperfections. As you conquer your fears and develop new skills, you will inevitably be faced with your own imperfections. But I actually think that that's a really good thing. I was reminded of this when rereading the, the uh, short story, The Automatic Grammatizer, uh, or Grammatizator, I'm not sure, Grammatizer. 
to Zader. Uh, anyway, it's a short story by Roald Dahl, and I know he's a, a controversial figure um, for, for various reasons, but I happen to love this uh, particular short story. It's about this just genius inventor who creates a machine capable of turning out perfectly written stories and novels and thus making writers obsolete. The story explores the intersection of creativity and automation, raising questions about the essence of storytelling in the era of machine learning. Now, I personally think it would be a great Socratic seminar that you could do. So if you teach high school, even middle school, it's a great, easy, accessible short story that um, leads to some really big themes and discussions about automation, art, AI, commerce, all that kind of stuff. But anyway, in this short story, there is a moment where the author chooses the machine not for the money that it will give her, but because the machine created something better and faster in her own voice. And it was the creative version of, you know, Paul Bunyan moment where he says, I can't beat the machine. And I felt that way in my illustrations, right? Like I love to illustrate. I've been doing these all, you know, introvert badges. I've been doing Cat and Doug the comic strip. I've been attempting to uh, illustrate um, a short story of mine. And I'm not capable of the quality or, or range or, or quantity or speed of AI. But I'm reminded that our imperfections are exactly what make art great. It's why live shows sound better than studio albums sometimes, and live drummers can sound better than drum machines despite their lack of precision. It's those quirky illustrations of, say, Peter Reynolds, my favorite illustrator, um, who remains iconic in the age of smooth AI art. It's why a homemade pie with a few imperfect crimped edges beats a frozen pie from a factory. In the end, the defiant choice of an artist, fully aware of their imperfections, choosing to push forward, I find that compelling. And it is within those very imperfections that we find authenticity. In other words, I create for myself, but there's this spark within me that no machine can take away. And what that is, is authenticity. And then finally, number five, sometimes creating for yourself is exactly what others need. Self-initiated creativity can help improve intrinsic motivation. When students engage in creative endeavors born from their own ideas and passions, they tend to feel a greater sense of ownership and intrinsic motivation toward their work. This autonomy strengthens their internal locus of causality, making them more likely to attribute success and failures to their own efforts. So in other words, it makes them more internally motivated. But here's what's interesting. Something odd often happens. This internally driven project can sometimes become the very thing our world needs. Sometimes you have an idea of something that you need to create and um, you're not even sure if anyone will like it. You're not thinking about an audience at all. You're simply asking, would I like this? And then if you like it, you make it. When you eventually share it out with the world, there's often a segment of the population similar to you who will say, actually, this is exactly what I need. 
This is what happened when I wrote a blog post called Miss B Saves Christmases a couple years ago. And I meant it as a silly joke about teachers and handwriting and, you know, a teacher who goes to the North Pole who could actually read student handwriting. And I shared it out during winter break and it resonated. And suddenly it was shared, you know, 500, 600 times and had lots and lots of page views. And so for that reason, right now I'm attempting to illustrate it with the hopes of sharing it out as a free PDF. Again, I'm trying. I want to get better at illustrating. And I think that's exactly it, right? Sometimes you create something for yourself simply because you enjoy it and then others like it as a result. I still believe in the power of empathy. But I also think that when you create for yourself, it isn't necessarily selfish. It often comes from a place of humility where you say, I don't know if anyone will like it, but here it is. You feel the freedom to take risks and be quirky, and that quirkiness is precisely what makes your work accessible to others. So where does that leave us? Well, I think it's important that we do things like design thinking projects. It's important that we find moments where students develop empathy with a larger audience. And I certainly would say that we need students to be engaged in that kind of work. But it's also a reminder that there's a time and a place to do something like a Genius Hour project, that 20% time project where it may or may not work. It may or may not go to uh, an audience in the end, but that's not the point. The point is how students change when they own the learning and they create for themselves and they find their voice and they take those creative risks and they develop those skills that they end up using for a lifetime. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Would you do me a favor? If this podcast uh, resonates with you at all, would you do one of three different things? And here are our ways that you could support this podcast. Number one, tell a friend about it. Let people know that this is a podcast you enjoy. Word of mouth is still one of the best ways to get the message out. Um, Number two, would you follow the podcast? Most podcasts have uh, some little follow button. It's usually like a plus sign or something. And then number three, would you leave a review on, you know, Apple Podcasts or um, Spotify or wherever it is that you get your podcast? Again, thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day and go out and make something awesome.